Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. This is Giles Milton, host of the Unknown History Podcast. And you're listening to a special mini-series from historian Bradley Hart on Hitler's American friends. In 1933, a former Hollywood screenwriter turned mystic named William Dudley Pelly made a startling public announcement. During a trance four years earlier, Pelly claimed, he had received some startling news from his spiritual contacts. The world was about to be plunged into economic chaos. From that crisis, an important new world leader would emerge. Pelly would know who he was by his former profession. The leader in question would previously have worked as a house painter. When that leader had obtained power, the prophecy concluded, Pelly was ordained to create his own so-called Christian militia and make preparations to seize power in the U.S. With the recent rise of former painter Adolf Hitler to the chancellorship of Germany, Pelly now announced, the time had come for him to make his own play on the national stage. He had founded a new organization called the Silver Legion to do just that. Over the coming years, the Legion would become one of the most bizarre and terrifying groups looking to emulate Hitler's Germany in the United States. William Dudley Pelly's career had been fraught with controversy long before he founded the Silver Legion. He was born in Massachusetts in 1890 as the son of a Methodist pastor. A voracious reader and writer, the young Pelly began publishing his own literary journal in 1909. Many of these early writings focused on the role of religion in society, and Pelly came to the view that Christianity would need to radically change to remain relevant in the modern world. Later on, he turned to writing fiction and a career in journalism. In 1918, Pelly embarked on an ill-timed reporting assignment to China and India with his young wife, but they were soon stranded in Japan due to wartime travel restrictions. Yet this situation soon yielded a life-changing opportunity for Pelly. In mid-1918, President Woodrow Wilson ordered thousands of American troops into Siberia to fight Bolshevik forces in the Russian Civil War. It's a part of American history we often forget about today. To aid those soldiers, the YMCA pledged to provide humanitarian assistance, and one of the group's primary volunteer recruiting grounds was Japan. Pelly signed up and found himself traveling across the Siberian wilderness. Along the way, he filed reports for the Associated Press. In the course of the war, Pelly developed a deep-seated hatred of communism, and the Jews he increasingly thought were behind it, that would influence his later activities. After the war, Pelly returned to the U.S. and embarked on a career in the burgeoning movie industry. In 1921, he sold one of his stories to a movie studio and, after divorcing his wife, moved to Hollywood. He would end up writing or assisting on nearly two dozen films, giving him both a small fortune and access to all the fun Hollywood had to offer. Yet the excitement was short-lived. By 1927, Pelly had fallen into some kind of a personal crisis. He left Hollywood, moved to a small house in Altadena, and began reevaluating his life. Around the same time, he began railing about Jews in the movie industry who he thought had mistreated him. In May of 1928, Pelly reported having the first of his spiritual visions. After feeling as if he was being carried through some kind of a mist, Pelly recounted waking up on a marble slab next to two men who began revealing the secrets of the universe to him. Among these was the revelation that death is only temporary and that all human beings are reincarnated. 
Even more importantly, Pelly reported, the two men told him he would receive additional revelations in the future. The next day, Pelly said that he had felt better than he had in years and appeared physically younger to his friends. Over the coming months, Pelly reported having more visions and experimented with trendy spiritualist techniques, including seances and automatic writing. In 1929, Pelly left California for New York City and began writing about his spiritualist experiences. A small circle of followers started coming to him for spiritual advice, and in due course he started publishing a journal that attracted more than 10,000 subscribers. The Hollywood screenwriter and journalist had now become a spiritual guru. In 1931, Pelly founded his own publishing company called the Galahad Press and opened a small college in Asheville, North Carolina, to spread his teachings. Asheville would remain the center of his operations for years. It was perhaps little surprise that just a few years after this, Pelly announced that his spiritual sources had told him to prepare for politics. When Hitler became Chancellor of Germany, Pelly upheld his supposed side of the bargain and created the Silver Legion. Membership in the Legion was open to any person, male or female, over the age of 18, except for African Americans and Jews. The Legion's anthem was the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and its uniform, designed by Pelly, consisted of a silver shirt, a tie, blue trousers, and a standardized cap. A giant red L appeared on the breast of every shirt, over the heart, and supposedly symbolized love, loyalty, and liberation. The Legion's flag was a white banner with a similar L on it. With these distinct uniforms, the silver shirts were instantly recognizable wherever they went. Pelly himself sported a stylish Hollywood-style goatee that gradually turned gray over the course of the decade. He also bestowed a new title on himself, The Chief. The Silver Legion's political platform was bizarre. Its main goal was to bring about what it called a, quote, Christian commonwealth in the United States. This governmental system would supposedly not be fascist, communist, capitalist, or fit any other known political model. It was entirely of Pelly's creation. Instead, it was supposed to be based on a system of, quote, Christian economics that Pelly himself had developed. All property was going to be held by the government, and every qualified citizen would be a stockholder in the state. Everyone in the Christian Commonwealth would receive a guaranteed basic income of at least $1,000 a year, and no property or money could be inherited between the generations. Unsurprisingly, there was a racist aspect of this as well. Only white citizens would be allowed to own stock. African Americans would be reduced to slavery to provide a supply of cheap physical labor. Jews were going to be excluded from the economy entirely. In Pelly's future government, he proclaimed, there was going to be a secretary of Jewry who would be responsible for dealing with the Jewish population by restricting them to a single city per state and closely monitoring their activities, not unlike the ghettos in medieval Europe. This situation, Pelly claimed, was necessary because he believed there was a vast Jewish conspiracy responsible for really every negative event in world history. Pelly also bizarrely claimed that America's Jews were the reason why his ideas had not yet been implemented in the United States. This bizarre set of views attracted a surprising following. Pelly outlandishly claimed to have 50,000 followers just a few months after launching the organization, but he later revised that down to 25,000 members with three times as many sympathizers. Most historians believe the number was even smaller than that, with around 15,000 members at the Silver Legion's peak. This was not a huge organization by any standard, but it was still formidable in its local strongholds. Membership numbers appear to have been the highest in Washington state, 
where membership peaked at around 1,600 people, mostly in the Seattle area. Uniformed and sometimes even armed silver shirts became a regular feature on Seattle streets. What made the Legion even more threatening was its explicit embrace of lawlessness and violence. Pelly himself was once reported to be accompanied by a bodyguard of 40 silver shirts who carried pistols and shoulder holsters and vocally dared local law enforcement to, quote, do anything about it. In 1938, a silver shirt leader told a Milwaukee reporter that he was advising all members to keep sawed-off shotguns at home and 2,000 rounds of ammunition to help protect what he called white Christian America. Pelly clearly had more than political campaigning in mind for his followers. His command over the Legion and its members was so complete and so totalitarian that even Fritz Kuhn, head of the German-American boon we talked about in the last episode of this miniseries, refused to have any connection with him because he feared Pelly would try to seize power over the Bund as well. This was a man who could clearly command a fanatical following. Throughout the 1930s, armed Silver Legion members harassed Jewish shop owners, delivered anti-Semitic harangues, and made general nuisances of themselves across the country. In 1939, President Roosevelt even considered suing Pelly for libel after the chief accused him of embezzling money he had raised for a children's charity. Roosevelt's attorney general sensibly advised the president that any lawsuit might allow Pelly to put the president himself on the witness stand and that this wasn't a great idea. Roosevelt wisely gave up on the thought of suing Pelly. Despite his relatively small following across the country, Pelly had garnered even the attention of the sitting U.S. president. As with Fritz Kuhn and the German-American boon, though, Pelly's downfall would be brought about by his own personal corruption. As it turned out, Back in 1934, Pelly had moved some money from his publishing house in Asheville into the Silver Legion's coffers. This was money Pelly had raised from investors, making the transaction illegal. Pelly was arrested and convicted in North Carolina, but he was released on parole in 1935. Over the coming years, Pelly basically ignored the terms of his parole and refused to return to North Carolina for periodic court hearings. In August 1939, Pelly was also subpoenaed by the House Committee Investigating Un-American Activities, headed by Congressman Martin Dyes. Rather than comply with the subpoena, though, Pelly went on the run and taunted federal investigators with letters as he was in hiding. In February 1940, though, he dramatically resurfaced in Washington, took questions from the Dyes Committee, and managed to slip out of the city without being taken into custody. The chief's penchant for Hollywood drama remained remarkable, but his days were still numbered. With World War II already underway in Europe, the U.S. government cracked down hard on the Silver Legion's local chapters as potential hotbeds of subversion. In October of 1941, Pelly finally gave himself up to North Carolina authorities and was sentenced to more than two years behind bars for his parole violations. He would later end up being indicted for sedition and end up spending the rest of the Second World War behind bars. Pelly and his Silver Legion were certainly among Hitler's more unusual American friends. What made the chief and his followers so dangerous were their fanatical spiritual beliefs and also their penchant for violence. While the Legion was never as large as the German-American Bund or the America First Committee that we'll talk about in episode 5 of this series, Pelly's followers instilled fear on the streets of American cities. In 1942, the British newspaper The Manchester Guardian referred to the Silver Legion as the, quote, largest American fascist organization. While the chief would never come close to becoming the American Fuhrer, he and his followers would be remembered as one of the most dangerous groups to align themselves with the Nazis. You've been listening to guest historian Bradley Hart. I'm your host, Giles Milton. Tune in to the Unknown History podcast 
on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify or at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks for listening.